Today on this fourth Sunday of Advent, we read a compelling story about a family whose estrangement and reconciliation give us good insights about watching and waiting. Today we're reading the, son, the, the story of um, the prodigal son, which really should be called the story of the loving father. Luke 15, 11 through 32. Strap in, it's a long one. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me a share of the wealth that will belong to me. So he divided his assets between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant region. And there he squandered his wealth in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that region, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that region who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? And here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him, and put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it. Then let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. And he replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got him back safe and sound. And then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat, so I might go celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Amen. Let us pray. Jesus, we come to you in this season where we celebrate your birth, asking you to give us insight and guidance. This beautiful story is a gift to the world. Thank you. We want your thoughts today. Amen. This is the last in a trio of stories Jesus tells to teach people about who God really is. He is answering criticism from the authorities who grumbled about him to one another, saying, Ugh, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
So to answer this charge, this accusation, Jesus told three parables. The human mind grabs onto pictures, and so the Lord gives three analogies everyone can understand in order to highlight the heart of God. We want to know what God thinks about sinners. Read these three stories. Jesus was born to show the world what the heart of God looks like. We celebrate. We celebrate how we can know God. So Jesus teaches that just as there is rejoicing over one sheep being rescued, when there is celebration, when one lost coin is found and a party for a son who made their way home, there is great joy in heaven when people are restored to God. Now there are some teachings that Jesus explains and some he does not. This parable was given in a way that the listeners and the readers are meant to figure out the interpretations for themselves. Nowhere does it say that the father stands for God, the younger son represents the lost, and the older son is the archetype for the Pharisees. But this makes sense, and we know this interpretation and accept it. But because it's an open-ended parable, that means that there are innumerable lessons that we can find, and the Holy Spirit gives to us through his living word. This is a story most of us have heard and know well, and maybe have heard many sermons on. Even Charles Dickens calls it, the finest short story ever written. Because we are reading in a time of Advent where we're focused on watching and waiting, I want to offer four lessons from this beautiful scripture as we begin our final descent to Christmas Day. The first lesson is this. Jesus spends time with sinners. But that doesn't mean that he agrees with their attitudes or values or behavior. See, this is one way that the Pharisees misunderstood Jesus because they kept themselves separate from those who weren't like them in order to stay holy. Jesus loves all people and wants everyone to come to God, including the leaders who were sinning in their condemnation of others. You see, they talked about those people as if they were above them. We know Jesus doesn't accept all behavior because at the end of each of these three parables, he says, there is rejoicing in heaven over those who repent from their sin. There is celebration over those who were dead because sin makes us dead inside. We rejoice. We rejoice when there is new life. So the parables answer the criticism of whether it was appropriate for Jesus to care about and even mingle from those who were far from God. And so we think about this and we think about how is it that we do that? How do we discern? We are steeped in our society, but we have to figure out what it means to live with integrity before God. So what does that mean for us? All of us are broken in our own ways. We're working out our salvation. We're working out our theology because this is what it means to follow Jesus. And however we do that, we have to keep love at the center of our core. Everyone gets treated with kindness regardless of what we think about their life. Regardless of who they are. That's what Ricky was saying today. Jesus did this well. We are to follow suit. 
This week I was out running errands and I was walking on a sidewalk that is adjacent to a parking lot. And there was a woman and she kind of came out of the blue. She kind of startled me a little bit and started talking to me and asked for my help. She had a lot of bags that she needed help moving from one spot to another, and so I did that for her. And then she asked me if I could help her get her walker from the parking lot up the curb to the sidewalk so that she could keep going. And this walker was overloaded with a lot of her worldly possessions. And as I was helping her, she kept saying, please don't yell at me. Please don't yell at me. And it broke my heart. Because who has been treating this woman with such disrespect that she is begging a stranger to be kind? You see, it isn't just online that we are the worst version of ourselves. It's every place. And we have to reject hate at every level for every reason because that is the God that calls us and that is what he calls us to do. And we shouldn't be cursing at anyone or screaming at anyone or shaming them because they are not who we think that they should be. So as we seek God and we attempt to find the narrow way, we have to be people who humbly go before the Lord each day. That's how we get to be people of love. It isn't just osmosis. It isn't just sitting in the pews. It's coming before the Lord every single day because the Lord is the one that gives us grace. You see, the grace that we receive is the grace that we are meant to go and give. The truth that we receive is the truth that we are meant to go live. And so we need to spend time in repentance and saying, Lord, search me and try my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Psalm 139, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. See, as Christians, we rejoice in the Savior who came to die for sinners, and that is all of us, no exceptions. So thanks be to God for the kindness that we have been offered. For our second lesson, I want to highlight a few things that I was caught by in my study this week. First, I never noticed how uh, in verse 12, the older son also receives his inheritance early. Verse 12 says that the father divided the assets up between them, meaning that both of the brothers received their share. For some reason, probably because of his rant at the end of um, the story, I thought that I was kind of thinking the eldest is kind of having a little bit of unfairness, but this puts things in a little bit of a different light, doesn't it? He's so angry. He calls his brother, your son, when talking to his father. He accuses the brother of actions which are not clear in the story. He blames the father for not giving him a goat, but he already owns everything, which is why the father says, my son, all that I have is yours. We know that a daughter or a son can stay in the family and still be estranged. We know a person can be in the church and still be lost. But the bitterness and the victim mentality that comes out of this son's mouth is, is pretty hard to hear. 
The other thing that I was reminded about was the meaning of the word prodigal. Most of us think that this um, means a person who is cherished above another. I had a brother who was called the prodigal. It meant that he was the favorite. Hello, if you're watching. <laughs> we might also think of a prodigal as someone who leaves with no forwarding address, causing pain to those that they leave behind and then coming back to much fanfare and welcome. But that isn't right. Prodigal means wasteful and extravagant. Spending money recklessly. Now, why does this matter? Because the wrong of the younger son wasn't just going and doing what he wanted. It was valuing money over the father. He wanted what he thought was owed to him, and so he went out to live as he pleased. And if we extrapolate this to our relationship with God, we call this idolatry. One of the core commandments from the beginning is don't have any other gods before Yahweh. What we value is often what motivates us and drives us. In this case, it could have been pleasure or freedom, but there's money underneath it. So in our lives, we have to examine what we care the most about. And God says, I want to be the greatest love of your life. That's what the Bible says. Anything else at the center of our heart grieves him. And this is why the father lavishing so much on the younger son when he returned is important because to the one who may have feared being disowned, the father is using the same treasure to show the son how he is more valued than those things that the son valued so much. This is a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture of love that God gives us. The third lesson I want to highlight here is the idea of how all the characters in this story Jesus tells are waiting for something that they longed for. The younger son waited for life to be better than the one he had at home. The father waited and watched for the youngest son to return. The older son waited to be affirmed by the father as we read this, it's clear how much everyone wants something that they think that they can't find from one another, and that brings relational difficulty. The younger son wants to find adventure, only to find the stability at home is really what he needs. The father longs for the son who is gone, but it's revealed that the son who is there needs him just as much. The older son pours himself into trying to please his dad, not knowing how much the father loves him already. And this reminded me of all of the television sitcoms and dramas that have formed so many of our souls. When we think about them, we can see how the concept of missing one another is so common. And this occurs because we don't say the obvious about what's really happening and how we're really feeling. This week at home, we watched a new Hallmark Christmas movie. It's that time of year. As they go, this one was pretty good. It wasn't about a perfect town with the most best hot cocoa. <laughs> with everyone being so nice, you can barely stand it. It was a story about three siblings who were grappling with their grandfather's progressing Alzheimer's. And one of the sisters 
teaches sociology, but recognizes halfway through she must have missed the class on how to talk to her family. And it was maddening to see their dynamic not expressing how they feel and what was bothering them, even though in the end they kind of got there. So what we need in our relationships when we're afraid to tell people how we feel is honesty and courage with a healthy dose of self-awareness and the willingness to listen. You see, in the parable that we read, what would have happened if the younger son would have said to the dad, man, I am not happy. I'm kind of hating my life right now here with you guys, and I don't really like what I'm doing. Can we talk about that? What if the father would have said, I can't stop you from going, but let's talk about why, why you want to go. What's going on there? Imagine the older son before the brother comes back saying, I don't feel appreciated and I feel resentful. I'm not sure that you really care about me as much as you care about what I do. Now, I know it's easy for me to stand up here and say those things. But like you, I have had my own share of fear and loathing in relationships with parents and siblings and teachers and bosses and friends. Like you, I haven't always been honest. I have walked away instead of talking about my feelings. My anger has come out in horrible, harmful ways. Because when we're not truthful, our feelings come out sideways. That's what we see here going on. So where in your relationships are you needing courage right now to be honest? Honest to face fears, honest to name your feelings, honest to risk vulnerability. This is the holidays. Lots of family, a lot of potential for drama, old, old records going on in our head. And somehow I suspect that Jesus intentionally created common relational dissonance in this story to help us think about how it is that we relate to one another, especially our families. I know that not every relationship is safe. Not every relationship is safe for you to say the truth. But I encourage you to take time with the Lord and to really ask him, Lord, is there a place where I can risk being honest with this person about how I feel and about what's really going on? Because if we don't, we don't want to just leave. We don't want to just be angry. We don't want to just blame. We don't want to feel sorry for ourselves. We want to grow. Lastly, Jesus portrays something precious here, which is the longing of the Father. God watches and waits for all his children to come back to him. And I was thinking how in our lives, all of us have experienced some kind of waiting and wondering where someone we love is. People leave. They go off physically, relationally, into dependence, in disease. And the people who care about them are left worried How's their journey going to go? Are they going to make it? Are they going to come back? Are they going to get swept away by the tides? There's so much breathing that we have to do in life, so much that we hope for, so many prayers that we lift up. But often in this situation, 
the person leaving has every confidence that things are going to be great because they're on an adventure and they're free and they think that they're strong enough to face any obstacle. And then reality sets in and resources are squandered and people take advantage and there's a lack of wisdom and unpredictable variables like famine hit hard. And verse 17 is the turning point. The younger son came to his senses. And I just want to stop there for a second. And I just want to encourage you that you have a God who created you to come to your senses. Can I get an amen about that? You guys, think about this. Think about how we have the ability to reason, how we have the spirit of God who leads us, that we can think in creative ways in order to survive because we have the capability to change course and make new decisions because we've been given a conscience and a heart that feels remorseful when we have done wrong. We can come to our senses. We can come back to ourselves, back to who God has made us to be. And you know, the dad could have told his child that. He could have said, you know, there isn't anything out there that you're longing for that you're going to find that you can't find here. He could have counseled the son, you have to find contentment where you are because there's not another place you're going to find it. But all of us have to experience life for ourselves, don't we? We all have to walk through the consequences of our choices. In this case, there were some hard lessons learned. Jesus tells the story in a way that we can picture the scene in a field with pigs trying to figure out the best best way to survive. And the answer was, go back to the place where you know that there is love and some kind of welcome. And so he works out a scenario in his head to negotiate, not knowing that that won't be necessary because he's going to learn really who his dad is when he gets there. In Advent, the church engages fully in what it means to wait for God. We wait for meaning and for life and for joy. We wait for light to shine in the darkness and for hope to rescue us out of our predicaments. We wait for Jesus to come back again. But I want you to be so aware through this story, what we learn is that however much we wait, God is waiting for us, waiting for us to repent, waiting for us to recognize his goodness, waiting for us to receive what he has already generously given to us, waiting for us to say thank you, waiting for us to find joy in him, waiting to heal our sick souls and wandering hearts, waiting for us to mature, waiting for us to celebrate the lost ones who need help and come home instead of being envious or angry or condemning, waiting for us to ask what the goals in our life should be and how it is that we can be more like Jesus, waiting for us to turn toward him so that he can run out and pick us up and embrace us and twirl us around. See, the parable puts both both the hearts of the brothers on display, but it's the father that stands out with unconditional love, It doesn't matter where we've been or where we've gone or what we've done. God's love is real and waiting for us. 
So in this last week before Jesus' birth, let us wait in expectation to the one who longs for us to return to him. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.